Hey guys, editing Nicholas here. I wanted to say that if you love the movie Alvin and the Chipmunks, then you are going to love this podcast episode because unfortunately, though it worked perfectly when we tested the sound, my microphone did not work correctly. So I sound exactly like Alvin. Otherwise, the episode is amazing. Joy was amazing. And I hope you enjoy. This is Joy Van Weingarten, project coordinator for the South Skunk Watershed in Mahaska County, and this is the Prairie Farm Podcast. In high school, oh I used to work at a coffee shop, and uh, this coffee shop, shout out to Smokey Room. They didn't like technically believe in nepotism, but uh, a lot of a <laughs> lot of family members ended up working at this coffee shop. A lot of people were related, or they end up getting married there. Uh, but while I was working there, the person who got hired at the same time as me was a wonderful lady uh, named Joy Van Weingarten. And Joy Van Weingarten was how do you say this? Uh, a savage. She <laughs> had no she had no regard. For, uh, no, no, that's not true. She was going to say what was right and what she believed that's in. Good. I remember one time we were working with, we were working with this girl who was older and our seniority in every way. <laughs> and this lady was going off about boy problems. And we had all heard many of this lady's boy problems. And I think, I don't know if Joy just got tired of it one day, but she was like, hey, have you ever thought about like, meeting with Jesus <laughs> just writes his lady's face. And I was like, Whoa, I need to go change out the milk or something. Dude, I, I need to go. I, and uh, I just remember the lady be like, uh, no, and walking away. And, uh, but that story summarizes joy in my mind because joy says what she thinks is right. And with boldness and ladies and gentlemen, good. we not only have my favorite co-host Kent today, but we are, uh, have a guest joy Van Weingarten from Mahaska County. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And people got it in the intro, but what's your what's your title again? So I'm a project coordinator for the South Skunk Watershed. Um, and basically what that means is I get to work with producers and farmers to help them implement conservation practices on their farm that benefit them and benefit the environment. Hmm. Oh, very cool. And where... That is not something that people are like seven years old and like, one day I want to be a project manager for the Skunk River. No, not at all. I had no idea it even existed until I graduated college. And then I was like, okay, so this is the part where I have to figure out what I actually want to do with my career, Uh, you know, with my degree. And I started at the office at my service center as an intern. Where did you graduate from? Iowa State. Ah, yeah. You got to go to Iowa State if you're going to work in the government of agriculture. It's either that, Missouri, or Dort. Yeah. Especially if you're in mm. Iowa. Like if you end up in environmental studies, sciences, conservation of any sorts, it's always like, oh, so did you have this professor? You just assume people went sure, to Iowa State yeah. University. Like, yeah. That's just an assumption. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I knew that about Iowa State. I didn't know that about Dort or, or Missouri. I think doesn't, uh, what is it, Northwest Missouri? Mm-hmm. I think they have a pretty good, they have a good ag program. Yeah. And huh. then Dort has a pretty good ag program as well. They're kind of known for that, I think. I feel like it's because uh, half cool. their students come from rural Yes. Areas. There's a ton of people from our area specifically that go up to Dort. I know yeah. that. But, Where are you from? Well, from the Pella area. Lot, oh, yeah, a yeah. Of, a lot of students that I've heard up there. When I was a freshman, let me lean in a little bit. When I was a freshman at 
Pella Christian, the graduating senior class had 90 something people. I think 40 of them went to Dort. I believe that. Wow. Wild to me. <clears throat> I totally Man. believe that. That's crazy. And, and then everyone else went to Iowa there. State. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all the grandparents were like, we'll pay for it. If yeah. You know. yeah. So they all go. <laughs> Shout out to all those grandparents. Out yeah. There. Come on. <laughs> Wasn't me, but that's fine. <laughs> oh man. The I had a I was talking to a kid the other day who just started college and he said that his grandparents pay for every um grandchild's college. Uh they're pretty well off, but they don't tell their grandkids till the day after they graduate high school so that they still work for scholarships and good grades. That's mm. really cool. Yeah. That's a new life goal. Yeah. I think I that point. more of a shout out to the older cousins who never spoiled that to their younger cousins. True. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. thinking here. I'm thinking, of, you know, your grandkid number 13, you know what's coming. Yeah. <laughs> Just party and have fun. Money's coming. Money's coming. <laughs> Tori filling it. out those scholarship forms. <laughs> yeah. That's just because you're trying to get them to play video games with you. And they're like, no, I need to be studious. You're like, here, let me let me tell you a secret. <laughs> yeah. And we're not good influences here, are we? <laughs> Go to school, kids. Go to class. Yeah. I think it's just how human nature is. You always, every system, which this could work into our conversation so well today, but every system that we come up with has this really linear, like, man, I see how this is going to result in a good ending. Mm -hmm. But we game every system to... Uh, in the end, totally avoid hitting what the target was, but f checking every box along the way mm -hmm. and totally, yeah. totally missing the mark by the end, yeah. you know? What um, was, I, we've never talked about this for how many of our uh, people we've had on the podcast have some relation to ISU? What was school, what was the ag program like there? Um, well, I started in ag studies. So I actually got my two year degree at DMAC, saved myself Smart. some money, and then Good transferred choice. to Iowa State into ag studies, which is what everyone kind of calls like the major of minors because you can kind of decide if you want to go more agronomy, if you want to go more sure. horticulture, animal science. You kind of get to pick and choose what classes you want to take. So it's just this little like conglob ag degree. Um, but within my first semester there, I really was liking my agriculture communication classes. So I was like, okay, this mm. seems kind of like a good degree for females, especially if you like want to be an ag, but you're a chick. So then I, I switched to that. Um, but that program at Iowa State is growing a lot, I would say. I think Oklahoma has a better agcom like program right now, like in terms of domestically in the US, but Iowa State was fantastic. It's a very... Wow. It's a big ag school, you know, when you look at it from like animal science, agronomy and everything, uh, horticulture, but then yet it feels so small. Like you always see the same people. You have yeah. classes with a lot of the same people. Mm -hmm. um, I had awesome professors though. And my advisor, 10 out of 10, top notch wow. dude. Oh, cool. Like I think that makes also the difference in like how someone's college experience is. Because I've heard people say, oh, you know, when I was in the animal science department, whatever, they didn't have a good advisor, but then no. when they switched to horticulture, whatever, they had a great advisor and it just makes all the difference in what your mm. school experience is like. And my advisor was kick-ass. I mean, he was awesome. Yeah. That's all. Uh, I've that heard that to be in agriculture today, you have to either inherit land or you need to go for some sort of communication or research role. Mm -hmm. um, so either you're like selling ag products uh, from an ag some large ag business or you are um researching and doing a lot of soil tests and mm -hmm. and working with the future of ag which uh both are really cool especially because there's a big old gap between people who do farming and the rest of civilization that 
benefits from it mm-hmm. in their understanding of what agriculture is. And just that education of like yeah. how your food is made is to me oh, it just yeah. seems so obvious. Like we yeah. we were raised in Iowa. We know where our food comes from. We drive past fields every day and then some people are still like wait, what? Yeah, like our chickens are raised yeah. in this confinement? Like that's yeah. how agri- it's like, yeah. yeah. That's how the rest of the world is growing our food and raising livestock and people have no idea that grow up in like urban communities. Huh. Mm-hmm. I have a friend uh, when I was out in California, I met her, and she won't eat meat from California specifically, um, but she will eat meat from any other state. And she explained it pretty well. Um, she is very thorough in what she thinks, and she had seen one of those documentaries, and whether oh. you believe it or not, yeah. yeah. But she was like, well, I want to figure this out. She was from New Jersey. She went to farms in New Jersey, and she's like, this isn't – it's not real. Like, the farmers actually care about their animals. But then she went to California where they have these giant, like – Factory farms. Yep, 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 basically. And she was really disgusted. So she's really careful about where she gets her meat from. Hmm. Which I was like, wow, good for you. Way to vote for your dollar. I've never... Yeah. She's done it better than anyone else I've seen. Yeah. She's at least being intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, she was... She... Um, yeah. She, when she's in California, she just won't eat meat. And then if she's somewhere else, she will look for where the meat came from. Huh. Okay, I was wondering how she applied the filter there for California. That just makes sense. When I'm in California... Go vegetarian. <laughs> I was thinking fish. I'm like, if I'm in yeah. Cali, if I'm next to an ocean, like I'm only eating fish. Fish, well, yeah. only fish. Better yet, in California, buy a hunting license. There you yes. Go. <laughs> yes. Dude, you know that they have a peacock problem in Northern California a little bit? I did not Sounds know Sounds like that. a yeah. California problem. Yeah. <laughs> it does sound like a California problem. Hunt, hunting peacocks. They're they the only ones to survive problems. the uh, never-ending forest fires of Northern California. Man. Oh, I was in Redding when those happened, and they burned down like 1,100 buildings of Redding. I remember the gas stations ran out of gas of people like getting ready to, to mm, flee. Yeah. Uh, it was wild. There was a fire tornado. They're like the heat had done something in the atmosphere. It caused a tornado. Yeah. It was crazy. That tornado killed like four firefighters. It was wild. Yeah. Gee whiz. Yeah. And it was raining ash like the apocalypse. For three straight days, you could stare right at the sun because the, sm- the smoke was so thick. The sun looked green. Mm-hmm. Couldn't wow. tell you why. It was, it's it, crazy. Yeah. You, you can't imagine it through a camera. It, it's a wild, wild look. I feel like that does feel very like post-apocalyptic. Yeah. It was like, this is it. This Lord's is it. coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. Take me now. Take me now. <laughs> Dude. That's hilarious. Yeah, so you went to ISU mm-hmm. and you enjoyed their ag program. And then you're from Mahaska County. Correct. And so were you just looking for jobs there? Or you said you got an internship. So how did Correct. that go? I was looking for full-time jobs. Obviously, like after you graduate, you're like, okay, full-time employment. Here we go. Um, and I was kind of actually looking to get out of the state. I was young and single. So I'm like, you know what? If I'm going to leave and going to go build my route somewhere else and just kind of create a new life somewhere else, I might as well do it while I'm young because – my parents have a farm. I was born and raised in Mahaska. Like, home will always be here. So it's like, I can always come back. So I was like, sure. let's branch out. Let's apply for other jobs outside of state. But then this one, I found this one on Indeed or LinkedIn or whatever it was. And I was like, oh, well, shoot. Like, I at least qualify for it. It'll be a backup, essentially. Because don't they have, like, a point ranking system or something for um, not for jobs. FSA jobs? No. Well, they might for FSA jobs because FSA is federal, but because this was a district position oh, as an yeah. intern, that didn't apply. Um, but I think, you know, they're they're thinking they're looking for college students that are still in college. And I was like, I'm graduated. But like, I was like, you know what? I'll apply, whatever. Um, did the Zoom interview with uh, a few of the commissioners and then Deborah, our CA. 
And after the interview, like an hour later, I got a call and they were like, we want you. Nice. And I was like, That's you know awesome. what? I might as well accept. Yeah. And that was a little bit earlier in the year because I didn't end up starting until June. So in my mind too, I thought, you know, in case something else comes up, you can always say like, oh, hey, sorry. But um, nothing did. So then I started as an intern at the office and it was splendid. I had no yeah. idea what I was doing. I did a lot of <laughs> CRP checks. I worked yeah. with Kat. I know you... Um, Kat's probably always calling Nick here in the office because yep. he always has questions. She saved my butt the first maybe four months I was working here because <laughs> she would just explain stuff to me. I'm like, when you get those calculators the first time, my goodness. Very confusing. Very confusing. Yes. But so for anyone who doesn't know, the government has calculators on how to build CRP mixes and, and different kinds of prairie mixes to make sure that they're up to standard, which they're really good practice, but they're mm -hmm. also very complicated. Uh, but something really cool about Mahaska County, <laughs> it is one of, maybe our favorite, for sure one of our favorite counties yes. to work with. <laughs> and I think non-coincidentally, it's all women in the office. It I'm is. I'm pretty sure, right? It's like every yeah. single employee in that office is women. And my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, they get their <laughs> stuff done way faster than every other county. We get shit done. I'm not saying there's For a correlation. Sure. I'm just saying that two coincidental <laughs> events have taken place. There's all women in Mahaska County, yeah. and they are very good at their job. Because my predecessor was a male, and for a while he was the only male. Because after Kevin left, he was the DC. Mm -hmm. There was two males, and then after Kevin left, it was just Bryce, who was my predecessor. He's the one who started the project for the South Skunk. He's the one that wrote the grant, um, and then he left, and then that's when I stepped into the role. So then I was like, yep, no more males. So we have a <laughs> we have a, a male bathroom and a female bathroom, but we just use both. And whenever, like, if there's ever like someone coming to fix the printer that's a male or whatever, we always just go like, hey, there's a male here. You know what I mean? Like, don't use the male restroom. Like, we, oh, like we always do. That is wild. It's like the yeah. Mahaska County sorority is what that feels like. Man. It is. It's a party. It's but done, though. We're so, we're so diverse. Like we all have a common goal, you know, like we're all into conservation in one way or another, but, um, our CA is originally from California. You know, she didn't Deborah's? know. Yes. Huh. She knew Would nothing not about, uh, big ag whatsoever when huh. she came. Like she's just kind of a newbie and we still have to explain things to her in that regards. <laughs> and she's just a peach about it. Yeah. And then, um, one of the other project coordinators in the <laughs> office, Miriam, she's the Muchakinic watershed coordinator. Mm -hmm. She's from Canada. She worked oh. for the government up there in environmental, um, an environmental field. So she just brings this whole other viewpoint of like yeah. urban conservation. She's really big into like pollinator gardens. Um, we're actually working on a bioswale, or technically, I think by definition, it's a bioretention cell, which we're going to seed natives on top of. It's mm. kind of like a um, a rain garden, mm. but it's a little bit more. You have to create um an engineer kind of a system underneath it so it's not wow. just like a depression in the ground that you're throwing a bunch of natives on that you're like yeah. oh those deep roots will help with infiltration it's a little bit more mechanical than that but we're actually planning on putting one right next to our office because we kind of have an issue with uh, water ponding huh. um, it doesn't really oh, cool go into our storm system very well and then it just creates this giant like running puddle in this grass that someone has to mow and we're like, it looks crappy. Like, let's do something about yeah. it. And we just got done last summer or two summers ago, I think it was actually with native landscaping all around our building. So like we are hundred awesome. percent. And it looks really good. It looks really good. People are always like, oh, that's going to look like weeds. You know, and I always yeah. want to strangle people when they say <laughs> yeah. that. I'm like, you're a weed. Yeah. You're the problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're a weed. It's true though. I mean, like, that, <laughs> that goes so deep into, you know, we're all, 
Iowans here, it goes so deep into how we were all raised, you know, it's just like, that's the, that's the culture. Anything not intentionally planted somewhere is a threat and is, is not beauty. You know, it's gotta be Kentucky blue that was seeded in the fifties and, and look like uh, a golf course. Yep. Cut uh, three to four inches max. And, you know, I did a study on it. I think I wrote in a blog on it on our, on our website, but that comes from the, like the 1700s, there would be big grass pastures that were short grass around castles. Maybe it was more like the 1200s, around castles to help people. Uh, like if there was an invading army, they'd be able mm-hmm. to see it sooner. Well, then nobles started doing it, and all of a sudden it was a rich person status. Mm-hmm. And we've just carried that with us, even though we got no people with pitchforks and fires coming at us. We're just like, we need. Yeah, I we need think some we were grass. talking about this with uh, Laura up at UNI. I think she talked about just it, like you were saying, it became a status thing. Like, look, I have so much money that I can pay people to go out, you know, <laughs> yeah. with a sickle or scissors um, or whatever. Yeah. And, and, uh, <laughs> Manicure this grass. Let me just flaunt my richness. Right, right. But in a way, is that not what it still stands for? Now, instead of of, uh, forcing people to do it, we buy super expensive lawnmowers. Quite literally. It's kind of crazy. But I also think there's a gap in the education of like, why plant a pollinator garden? Why have Mm. native species Mm. present in your backyard? Like some people just, they don't, they think it's just for aesthetics. Yeah, you know, yeah. some people are like, oh, they just like that look. It's like, no, no, it provides habitat. It provides biodiversity. Mm. It's good for the soil. Yeah. It's good for water filtration. Like, there's so many benefits. Yeah. But to some people, it's like, oh, they just like that look mm. of a pollinator garden. Yeah. So I think that's part of the um, what we're trying to do at our office is just for the education standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone walks yeah. in, they say, oh, you know, is that milkweed you have outside this front door? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it is. And, you know, like, milkweed is essential for a habitat for caterpillars, butterflies, mm-hmm. um, all sorts of insects that are beneficial for your crops mm-hmm. that you're coming in here to talk about. Yeah. You know what yep. I mean? So it's kind of a an education opportunity and also just I think the more we make it um, quote unquote normal or the more people yeah, see native right gardening, right it's gonna become less and less like a thing where people say that looks like weeds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. So that's also why we want to put this bioretention cell in because it's solving an issue, solving a concern that we have with all this water ponding up on our parking lot. It creates like a mini lake. Like we have to wear big rubber boots because it just yeah. floods yeah. the parking lot. So like it's a problem and a solution is like a bioretention cell using native plants mm-hmm. to do their thing. So I think that'll be kind of fun when it goes in because, you know, every old farmer is going to be like, what you doing there? Digging with the backhoe. <laughs> yeah. like, well, that's what we're actually doing. You know? We're about to change your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We came to mess things up. No, I like driving my lawnmower straight through that, those puddles. <laughs> my favorite part. Yeah. Speaking of which, I saw some uh, mowing going on yesterday. So we're into <laughs> December now. And uh, oh, yeah. it looked like it was it was a county job. Uh uh, and it would have been. It yeah, Joy, been. what's going on over there? Are what, they what mowing are we, the ditches? They were mowing a ditch over by. Uh, um, oh, man, I don't want to be too specific because <laughs> yeah. I might yeah. nail somebody. <laughs> but uh, on my way to work, we'll say in between. So I live out outside of Pella and okay. come up here to Linville, and yeah, somebody was out there with the old bush hog whacking down dead grass. You know, I quite literally don't understand that. Like, I, I don't know if there needs to be more education for, like, the county department on, like, this yeah. is actually good for things. It's not yeah. doing any harm. Like, yeah, why I agree. I agree down? with that. That's a good point. I talked about that with uh, Carol, and he, he brought up some good reasons for why we do some ditch mowing that I hadn't 
really fully considered before. But there's way more of it that goes on than just those practical reasons too. And, and oh, Carol would sure. agree with that for sure. That it's like, yeah, maybe it does need to be an education. Oh, this is why we're spending tens of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars on equipment and fuel mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, man hours. Yeah. And then, and uh, just this is why we're willing to sacrifice something that holds carbon soil pollinators. Yep. Man. I'm sure the county department probably hates me because I have like native seed just like in my house. Like I just have native <laughs> seed on hand, you know, for whenever an emergency situation so, yeah. you might need. Don't it. leave home without it. <laughs> I'm literally just driving like, down the road, just literally. No, when they do like the digging, you know, they do the they take like the backhoe and they like dig out the ditches every once in a while, yeah. which always freaks me out because they make them so darn deep. Yeah. And I'm like, bro, like I pull over and like I'm not paying attention and like I will be in the ditch, you know? Yeah, we had one of those. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it happens though and yeah. it's because they do that and then it's like oh my gosh like this wouldn't happen if you had done that so when i see them doing that i will grab my seat and i will chuck it out the window <laughs> i'm like let's get some roots in this thing let's get some roots yeah. in why this do soil. they do that why do they dig so deep on those ditches i don't know if it's just to get some of the silt that accumulates like from the uh, runoff yeah. you know over Maybe, time yeah they probably yeah they probably know dredged it out a few times and like you know what i'm gonna dig it so deep and so steep this time yeah you know i'll we'll be dead do- before this thing has to be very <laughs> <laughs> dug that's <laughs> probably what they're doing yeah. he's, they're just trying to do their job well that's all <laughs> yeah <laughs> he doesn't want to have to do this until he's gone again so that's he's like right. let's dig it real deep and, and i mean when you got toys what do you want to do you want to play with them you know exactly I, mean? so, I get it so 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 much fuel is burnt so much Erosion is extended because people have the toys and they want to play. They want to play in the dirt, yeah. Yep. But so. I, I'm totally combating them. Like, come at me, come dig my ditches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready for you, county workers. You will have the pitchfork and the fire. Yeah. You'll be ready. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you want to dig that ditch out? I see. I see how it is. This is a shotgun land. Okay, but can we circle back to the fact that you put a truck in the ditch? <laughs> Oh yeah, Peyton. Look. Peyton, he, he's Look. our uh, information uh, verifier over here. He was there when just, this happened. Remember when we were uh, teetering between the, well, the front right tire we and the back so, left? For tire. everyone that doesn't know, Peyton is the Jamie of this podcast. <laughs> he was so so. Look, here's what happened. We had just we were going to hand harvest some butterfly. I guess weed now, but we always call it butterfly milkweed. Okay. And we were, we were headed north out of Grinnell and we like pull over where we see a bunch of it and it like the grass is real tall. So you cannot tell that there's just an immediate drop. Now oh, Nick's right. making an argument for ditch mowing. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it just shouldn't have been dug that deep. I it was like a hole. It was a washout is what it was. Oh, okay. There was a plug. It's because uh, there was no prairie there. That's why there was a yep. washout. Exactly. And, and so we pull over and one of my wheels, my front right wheel, <laughs> boom, just immediately dropped. And my sweet and sour sauce dumps all over Kent. <laughs> it, was a, it was a traumatic it was a traumatic ride for me for three reasons. First of all, we got Nestles at uh the Nestles gas station. are 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 ice cream cookie sandwiches. <laughs> That's right. You've heard them you've heard they've heard about it on the yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. before. But uh we got we got the the usual Nestle and mine had a hair that like wrapped around my uvula while I was <laughs> <laughs> I go to like <laughs> 
his, his hair would not end. It, it essentially like took my my love for these ice cream sandwiches and to be fair, we're pretty sure it's it. one of Kent's armpit hairs. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that would be you know what that'd be impressive if somebody had armpit hair that long. But uh, no, it was like a, the super long hair. And, uh, you know, it was like running between my teeth like dental floss. And it was so nasty. And then he spilled sweet and sour so, sauce all Yeah, so I'm like what recovering from this trauma. <laughs> and then, you know, 20 minutes later, Nick drives into this hole and the whole vehicle almost tips over. Yeah, we did almost tip. And then when I get out and I'm like, what smells like sweet and sour sauce? <laughs> and my entire leg is just coated in mixed sweet well, and sour sauce. Well, I think sauce. what actually happened is Kent was a little worried. He wet himself. Oh, so whatever. He, he dumped sweet and sour sauce on his hands to make sure that no one knew. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Would that's rather I mean, I was, like I was pretty worried there, but not, not quite that worried. Oh, man. So, yeah. But it's easy to do because they dig them out so deep. And they, yeah. I don't know. There is a good program that you and I does, has, gets a big old grant, and DOT works as well on getting prairie in the ditches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that should be like four times or five times how much that they're doing. Because they're trying to cover Iowa ditches mm-hmm. slowly. And every county gets – counties can opt in or opt out of – working with this program because I think you and I gets the grant to buy the seed, but then the counties are responsible for getting it into the ground. Oh, okay. And, um, and, and that's a really awesome thing for Iowa because it's hard, right? You, landowners own their land. Mm-hmm. You can't force land. It, I, I, we are not supportive of the government just telling landowners what to do with their land, right. but then you also want to incentivize um, good land practices and use uh, what land the government does run and have as much of it conserved because if nothing else is going to get conserved they should at least conserve what they what they have authority over yeah what but, is the percent is it like 90 percent of ground in iowa is like owned by private i th- well i know it's, it's a lot i think it's more than that. i think it's uh i want to say it's 97 jamie Peyton. <laughs> what jamie putting you on that how what percentage of iowa land okay he heard this. But also, I think it's like 0.2% is now still prairie. Oh, like, yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. Terrible yeah. low I number. Think it's even, I think it might even be less than that, Nick. I think it's a tenth of a percent or something like Jamie that. Jamie has an answer. I heard I heard once that Iowa is the most terraformed place on earth ever. Really? Yeah. There's never been a place more changed than the service of Iowa. Right. Obviously, like 97 New- is our, our number there. So 97%. Right. Man, I feel good on that number. Wow. Good job. <laughs> that was nice. Man. But no, yeah, the prairie, like that existed in Iowa. Just thinking about yeah. that alone and like the yeah. bison, the fact yeah. that they used to have elk and wolves and stuff. And people are like, like yeah. there was a elk that showed up in Story County. Did you guys see that a few I months so, ago? Yeah. I don't yes. Know, I did uh, Trophy Bucks Vio or what account yeah. that was that posted Did they it. shoot it? I don't know. It was like a tiny buck. Like it, or both, excuse me. It like very young bull and i like was showing it to my mom and she was like what there's an elk in iowa and i'm like mom there used to be elk in iowa yeah and she was like what and i'm like we took yeah. their home like i think this the the variety of elk that wasn't iowa are they extinct yeah uh or no no uh iowa variety i think is still i think all elk species west of the mississippi still exist but okay. the subspecies that are from east of the mississippi are all so we have populations of elk east of the mississippi kentucky has the largest herd i think pennsylvania is number two and then there's even some in uh wisconsin and um 
Are you so, talking like native? Like they're well, they've wild? Re- they've, re- they've reestablished populations there. So they, they were extirpated from those areas. Technically, you know, as far as the subspecies goes, extinct. But um, in the going back to like the 20s and 30s, I think Pennsylvania started to bring in some Rocky Mountain elk to uh, mm. uh, repopulate, and they've stayed around. Most, some other states tried doing that as well, and it didn't work. But then again, in like the, I want to say like the 70s, 80s, 90s, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, they, they helped Kentucky reestablish a herd and mm. – uh, um, I think they also helped out with Pennsylvania's efforts too, and a few other states like Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Minnesota even has some elk now. But you know, going back to everything we've just been talking about with where Iowa stands, I mean, if we all had to like be brutally honest right now and say, you know, like say exactly what we think, could we bring elk to Iowa as it is now? In my opinion is no way, not, no way, no way. We don't have what elk need anymore, which is so sad because mm-hmm. people think of a prairie state like Iowa. First of all, they think of us as a prairie state, right? If, if you were to ask the average American, hey, uh, you know how there used to be prairies? Yeah. What states were those in? They would list Iowa. Iowa. <laughs> and then if you said, okay, what animals listed or lived in those prairies? Everyone would probably say, well, buffalo, bison, which of course we had. But we had more elk than we had bison. That's how many mm-hmm. elk we had. Wow, I didn't know and, that. And we just are so far away from having what elk would need. I mean, you could maybe do re- very small herds, like up in the northeastern part of the state, um, maybe maybe down in the southwestern part of the state. There's some areas with some pretty good mm-hmm. habitat in that, you know, along the Missouri River corridor there. But there, it's just not there anymore for us. And mm-hmm. It's, I think it's a shame, you know, and, and really in our lifetimes, I don't think we're going to be one of those states that gets to celebrate that like a Minnesota or a Wisconsin or a Michigan, you know, you know, just see that back on your own landscape. And I think we will, I I think agriculture is getting to a point where it can be so efficient that we will stop needing as much land for it as I hope so. That's a good. Uh, yeah, you yeah. Know, I shouldn't be too. It's going to have to happen but. because as population grows, yeah. as more and more ground gets bought, so people can put up housing developments. Like it's yeah. going to have to happen. I was told once that all of the world's population could fit in the density of New York City in an area the size of Texas. So if it was as dense as New York City, the whole world would fit in an area of Texas. I don't know how true that is, but uh, I don't want to live like New York City. No, 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 <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. But dude, while you were talking, my brain went on a tangent. Have you guys ever seen one of the greatest movies ever, Spirit? Yes. I oh my gosh, the horse movie. And, I yes. grew up on that thing. My wife and I, I finally got her to watch it the other day with uh, Matt Damon. Man, you said you have seen it. I haven't seen it. Oh, Ken, it'll change your life. Loki, best soundtrack. Ever, yeah, especially really. for an animated film. Yeah, and it's well animated. It holds up. And Peyton, can you verify this? <laughs> like, if I'm ever can't, if I'm ever in like a sad mood, and I'm just in, like, I need like a musical spiritual like get up. I literally you go to the spirit, spirit soundtrack for like the soundtrack for a kids movie that yeah. I watched on repeat when I was like nine years old. I'm like, this is it. And then life just gets better as I'm just listening to Hans Zimmer do his thing. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. My kids would probably like listening to it. Jonas would probably get into it. Dude, he'd love that movie. You know, an interesting thing while we're on it, 
Um, so I, I, one of the best parts of my job is I listen to audiobooks and podcasts for, all day long. And I just finished up uh, Dan Flory's new book, uh, A Wild New World. So the new world, of course, is us. It's the United States, North America more specifically, and really South America too, Central America. Um, everyone from Europe and, and Asia and wherever else that was exploring into the Western hemisphere, you know, we were the new thing, right? So that, hence the title. Well, there's a part of that book where he talks about horses in North America. Horses are native to North America. Um, there's all sorts in the fossil record. There's different species of these horses. Uh, probably the most famous is the, is Hagerman's horse, which I think is from like the Hegerman Valley of Wyoming or something like that, where they found those fossils where these horses actually had toes. Oh, instead of, uh, that is horrifying. <laughs> Great back massages. Dude, yeah. my goodness. <laughs> no, sir. But, uh, yeah, these, you know, so the, the anatomy of these animals has changed through time. But um, horses, we don't know why exactly. Um there's, you know, you get, you can open up a real can of worms there when you're looking at uh, the Pleistocene going into the, the, the Holocene. Uh, but I think I have that. I think I have that right. But um, we see this huge megafauna die off. Horses are one of them. And uh, horses would be extinct worldwide if it wasn't for the fact that they were used uh, so much in Europe. And then uh, horses were brought back to North America when uh, Spanish uh, conquistadors were, you know, exploring all over the place in North and South and Central America. And, uh, you know, naturally some of those horses either got loose. I think a lot of livestock like that was just intentionally turned loose. So now you have a living stock yard when you come back on another voyage it's like oh yeah we know oh, there's horses there. yeah which is also why we have feral pigs everywhere you know pigs aren't native to, to north america shoot them, shoot them all <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> thankfully we don't have those in iowa uh, but but right yet but um the the so here's where this gets interesting because i know i'm monologuing here so they brought these horses back so in a way you've brought in something that was native here was gone for probably you know couple thousand years so you retransplant it back into the united states uh just really by serendipity right and now you have it's become a major hot button problem on uh western uh government land blm land especially where uh um, ranchers can have grazing permits wait wait i think you need to define what BLM is. Bureau of Land Management. So okay. federal, yeah. federal, federal. I was, I was thinking what you were thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So, so yeah. So federally owned and managed land. Um, this, so this issue now is you have, I mean, just tons of horses because they have really no natural predators left. What eats a horse? Certainly not us. <laughs> you know, there's not. Yeah, right. There's there used to be things like saber tooth cats, and there used to be things like Sasquatches. you know American cave, yeah, Sasquatches, <laughs> and American cave lions, and and all the and, and dire wolves, things big enough to take down horses. You know what? None of those things exist anymore. So now you have these populations of horses that are just growing to huge numbers, and it creates problems on multiple fronts. 
So the, the problem for people who get their grazing permit from the government to graze, you know, thousands of cows out here, they get there and all what they were, you know, planning to winter their cows on has already been picked over by all these wild horses that have been living there. And then the second, the, the second issue is uh, because these things are eating themselves out of house and home and their population spike, you keep seeing these huge die-offs of all these wild horses. Or during times of drought, um, they'll find all these horses dead around, you know, some small watering hole that literally they're, you know, dying of thirst uh, because there's just not the resources to support them. And we've tried all sorts of things like, you know, th there's programs where you can like for dirt cheap buy a wild horse because they'll try They'll do roundups. They'll try and round up these animals. But I mean, they're dangerous, big animals that yeah. want nothing to do with being, you know, rounded up. That's why you got to watch this movie. Spirit. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's It'll explain about. everything. Yeah. <laughs> Change your life. Right, side with right. the horses finally. Yes. But so it's so interesting because you have this thing that is now like the you know this huge problem from a ecological and agricultural standpoint there's specific uh, I, I left out there's a specific law that protects these horses you're not allowed to they're not allowed to be like killed so you can't you know like when we get too many deer what do they do well what they should do is issue more licenses extend seasons but a lot of times like in urban areas uh, Iowa City does this all the time. They bring in government sh sharpshooters, which is, I think, basically just DNR officers that got to work extra hours to kill these <laughs> kill these excess deer populations. Well, you can't do that with these. So, what is the solution? Because that law, you know, why is that law that there that, to begin with? It, it was a push from you know because they're pretty was, creatures and people uh, don't right see them from killed. spirit enthusiasts that uh, <laughs> that. You know, it's actually it's actually a pretty old law. I think it's been oh, around okay. since like like early to mid 1900s. Okay. So it's it's been around for a while, but it's this huge problem that ties all the way back to something that is technically from here, mm -hmm. but because the whole world moved on without it here in North America while it was gone for a thousand years, it lost its niche, and now it's back, and it still doesn't have a niche, and it's in the face of you know cattle producers mm -hmm. and so uh you know it's all part of this mixed up thing of resettling the wild new world kent you're on a tangent about big horse yeah well there's no answer <laughs> i don't i don't really know where i stand on it because because yeah. i agree with the point where you know they were here it's kind of crazy how they ended up getting back here yeah and i feel like that's why the problem probably hasn't been solved yet it's just such yeah. a hot button topic and it's like how do you go about yeah. it yeah what is the solution yeah yep and and people abuse that adopt a horse deal so that's a, another big part of it is they oh i can get a horse for cheap and then i'll go sell it to you know alpo and uh and that'll be dog food and so you know there's there's all these little and it's becoming a bigger and bigger thing uh you know, I keep my ear to the ground on a lot of these issues and you can just see when things pop up, you know, this price started popping up five, six years ago when you first started hearing about it. Now you hear about it all the time. So it'll be interesting. Uh, we have very different soon. news outlet sources. <laughs> <laughs> Not hearing about this horse dog food problem. No, but, uh, so I've heard about it, Kent. Don't you worry. Yeah, thank okay. you. Nick's thank you, Joel. Not educating himself. Just <laughs> Nick, Nick just watches Spirit on I'm repeat. Just, on repeat. <laughs> Look, if you don't have internet at your house, you just take your one DVD and you just. Well, you don't have internet at your house. We don't have a lot of things technically. 
my wife informed me that we are two thirds homeless because homeless means not having utilities and we have electricity, but not heat or water. Uh, We're going to introduce you guys to Nick's GoFundMe. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we need no. to start a page for Nick <laughs> and his wife. No, man, every time we, I, I'm with my wife and we're telling like older people, I was going to say adults, but I, I keep forgetting I'm one of those. When I, we tell older people that they look like they're about to call DHS on me, like the <laughs> Child Protective <laughs> Services. <laughs> oh, that's, that's hilarious. It was my wife's idea, ladies and gentlemen. It was not my uh, idea. It's looking good, too. I stopped by there the other day. My family was on our way to get a Christmas tree, and I needed some ratchet straps from Nick. Dude, it looks even better now. Mine. I love plumbing things. It's my favorite hobby after I get done with a hard day's worth of work. I like to go home Snapping and have some things. pecs together. Yeah. Mix <laughs> new calling. My best friend. <laughs> no, but I, I am, I'm going to totally take a veer off what we've been talking about. I want to talk about water because uh, I know, and you can get as political or not political as you want. You deal with the Skunk River, which is one of the biggest rivers in Iowa. Um, it's a big one. Yeah. And I know that a lot of, Kim Reynolds, when she was running uh, with uh, Brandstad originally, she pushed cleaner water quite a bit. That was in a lot of her speeches. And uh, I don't know how she's followed through with that or not. Um, but that is a thing for, for farming that I know that we are trying to figure out a solution of being able to have uh, efficient crops and not poison water supply with what are Absolutely. you noticing with that? So uh, my funding source for my project, it's a grant funded um, and depend on depend on how the grant is written, depends on how much you get or uh, how long the grant period is before you have to like reapply. Uh, but my grant funding source is literally called Water Quality Initiative, WQI. Mm. Um, and there's several watersheds in Iowa that are funded by that same source. And what WQI is, is trying to support that. We're trying to better our water resources because it is a resource. You know, we just, I think in Iowa, you grow up with muddy rivers and muddy ponds and it's normal. But at the same time, that's where your drinking water comes from. Like, mm. yeah. it's so True. interesting to like go talk with children or even like adults even adults my age like where does your water come from like when you turn on your faucet when yeah, you that's a great you know turn on your water where does your water come from like yeah. where do you think it comes from and people are just like i don't know the ogallala reservoir and i'm like no <laughs> wrong. our education system has failed you <laughs> this is awful but you know what i mean people don't understand where their water comes from so if they don't really realize that like they're polluting their own water systems it kind of brings it back to you as a consumer of the water like oh my goodness like it affects all of us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what is going into that river, whether it's from municipal waste, whether it's from, you know, ag waste of nutrients leaching into our systems, it affects all of us. And it's our water. It's yeah. your water. Yeah. It's my water. And yeah. I think that's kind of the start of my project is just the simple base of just educating people. Um, you know, our water is a resource. We need it to survive and it can't be chemical filled it cannot have a bunch of nitrates in it we don't need a bunch of phosphorus in it um, because also when you pay your water bill every month you're paying for those chemicals to, mm, to treat point. those you know that's your your bill is only going to keep going up and up and up as our river and our water systems get more and more polluted wow yeah and i what? think it makes it more personal of a connection when you can relay it to people like that because like no one cares about water and I always stop them when they, you know, feel that way. Because I'm like, no, everyone cares about water. Yeah. You just don't understand how it affects 
our everyday lives and how yeah. you are affecting it. Yeah. Yeah. And the, I think you did a good job there too, talking about the vulnerability of, I mean, it runs through our tap, it runs mm -hmm. through the shower, runs through the, you know, the kitchen sink when you're washing dishes or the dishwasher or whatever. And to not care what is in there or just to trust mm -hmm. that who's ever in charge of purifying that for me is doing it the right way and, and, uh, doing, uh, doing so effectively, you know, that's a pretty big trust. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a great point you bring up. Where'd your water come from? And the day someone turns their faucet on and brown water comes out, like <laughs> yeah. it's the day everyone's really that's gonna right. give a shit you know about what? water quality. Yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid that's gonna happen when I turn the water on at my house, like the first time. <laughs> just I'm starting to think it might. I think like a possum is gonna crawl out of your sink when you turn oh, the water on. Nick, I can see the first that. There'd be like a little tail first. Oh, yeah, be like, honey, oh, we have a possum no. again. We did. We live with one. Her name is Barbara. And when our floor, so I, we gutted our house to the dirt on the floor. And when we had that, we would hear her leave and come in every night, like oh, crawling through the house. Uh, but we, we have a space for her. She pays rent. It's fine. <laughs> Which is Barbara. She can't be that mean. Yeah, no, no, Barbara's exactly. ever that mean. She cleans all your dishes off. She does for it. Yeah. <laughs> Please tell me you're documenting your this journey of your house. Because, yeah. Like, just a side note. I'd love to see it. I'd oh, love man. to see what it's, this is like. It's horrifying. <laughs> it's, it's good. Like, you, I don't know if settling is a good word. Man, <laughs> yeah. We've settled to living like we're in a hut. Uh, and I tell my friends it's our box. Like, we're going home. Box. We're going back to our box. But no, so I, what, what do you think in terms of water would like a few of the things that either um, non-farming citizens or farmers could do to heavily increase the quality of water? So this is my shameless plug because I'm a huge fan of them. And I know a lot of producers are, and I know a lot of producers aren't, but I'm a big proponent of cover crops. Mm. Um, they're a, for those that don't know what cover crops are, they're a management practice that producers can plant a crop. And there's lots of different species they can do. Um, I'd probably say the most popular one in Iowa is cereal ryegrass. Um, it's also one that's just been most effective at growing well and doing what it's supposed to do. Um, and what... Um, the practice is, is after a farmer is done harvesting his field with his cash crop, he goes back in and he plants a cover crop. And the name is, I mean, the proof is kind of in the pudding of the name of like a cover crop. You're mm -hmm. just covering the ground. It's a crop that covers the ground and provides nutrients, provides uh, roots, which is food. It adds um, diversity to the soil. It protects the soil from wind erosion, water erosion. It's basically just kind of this like all around really good conservation practice. And then once springtime comes, um, you'll see those cover crops come back up um, after being dormant over the winter season when yeah. they die mm -hmm. from like the cold um, they'll, they'll come back up and they'll re-germinate and you'll see these beautiful fields with this bright green plush looking like grass all over it and um, it's really pretty and it's really good for the soil and then usually the farmers will go back in there and they'll terminate it somehow typically by um, glyphosate herbicide of, of mm. sorts um, which really isn't too difficult because a lot of farmers are already doing pre-emergent herbicides on their fields depending on what your program is mm -hmm. so then you just kind of go in your field and you kill it and then you just uh, plant your crash cash crop like you always do so How, who's funding that like where, where why do farmers do it why do farmers do it or who's yeah. funding it those are almost well, kind of two separate avenues we could uh, go well i guess i imagine them being similar because i 
that many farmers would do it because it is good for the ground. Mm-hmm. But I, <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine that a lot of farmers wouldn't do it if it didn't make sense to them monetarily. Right. If, yeah. And that's kind of where it's, it's an economical thing, but it's a conservation practice. So when it comes to like ROI, farming is a business. Farming is completely money in, money out, inputs, outputs. Mm-hmm. That's how it's structured. Mm-hmm. So when you tell a farmer that like, oh, it's good for this and, you know, uh, cover crops are fantastic for water quality. There's no better practice for water quality because they're taking up excess nitrogen. So instead of that nitrate or nitrites going into our river systems, going into ditches, into streams, whatever, um, the plant's taking it, the plant's using it, and it's staying in the field where you want it to stay because you do need nitrogen for your crops. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's an excellent, excellent practice for water quality. It's really the best around. That's why I'm a big proponent of it. Um, But yeah, if you tell a farmer that like, oh, you know, if you pay for the seed and you pay someone to drill it in and that maybe costs and this is just ballpark because it really does depend on your area, what the seeds cost, all that kind of stuff, all those variables. Uh, say it's like 45 bucks at the end of it per acre. You know, a producer is going to say, well, why the heck would I do that? Mm-hmm. If you don't care about the water quality, if you don't care about your soil organic matter, if you don't care about all the benefits of cover crops and you just like to see that check, and you like to see high yields and you don't give a crap about the rest, yeah, why would you do it? So that's um, part of my project is I offer cost share to producers so Mm. it kind of takes away some of this um maybe the scared aspect of like trying new things but also i mean it is a financial thing you know if um you can't write it in your books or whatever but at the same time i always kind of find that argument interesting because farming is a business right you're in it to make money and what do farmers always want to talk about after harvest what's the biggest why word that everyone uses yield you know, it's always like, oh, I got, you know, 60 bushels. There's the best creek bottom, you know, we've ever had in beans, whatever. We got 80 this year. And I get that. Like, yes, yield is important. But at the same time, you're in this business to make money. Yeah. And cover crops help lessen your inputs. If you have cover crops in place, you're going to be able to, over time, put less nitrogen in the ground. You're mm-hmm. going to build up more organic matter, which is going to have a carrying capacity for nutrients. It holds water better. Um, I was literally just listening to a Joe Rogan podcast this morning uh, with Will Harris. Mm, Super yep. interesting. If you want to. Yeah, I just listened to a few weeks ago. Great yep. Uh, regenerative agriculture is kind of mm-hmm. the topic of it. Uh, I think he's a farmer from Georgia, if yep. that's correct. Uh, yes, I did. I did see uh, that. Some, was it White Oak or? White Oak Pastures. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And um, Boston, he, Georgia. I'm probably not going to say the statistic right, but I think per percent of organic matter in an acre has a capacity to hold like what was it in terms of water i think an acre can hold twenty-seven thousand gallons of water like that's its carrying capacity Hmm. and as you increase your organic matter you're only increasing that by gallons so instead of like having water sitting on your field or having your plants not be able to uptake that water um Mm -hmm. Your carrying capacity, you can take on those multiple inch rains that we have beginning yeah, in Iowa yeah. because you have that higher organic matter in yeah. your field. So um, if you look at cover crops in the long game, they're a no brainer. You mm. know, if you look at it from just one year of like, oh, I planted cover crops in my field and, you know, I didn't see any benefits, yeah. you know, like it, it didn't make my yield go up 50%. Like I ain't doing it again. Like it's a long game. And all my producers that I have that have been doing cover crops five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years 
say it's made all the difference to them. They have wow. less weed pressure. Um, they have better carrying capacity because they've built that soil organic yeah. matter. Um, there's no producer I've talked to that's been doing them for longer than five years that doesn't like them. Yeah, It's the ones that do it for a few years and have a bad experience um, that weren't able to figure out how it worked in yeah. their operation that say mm -hmm. negative things about it. That's really cool. I did not know that, that it was so beneficial for the efficiency of growing. I know uh, we interviewed a gentleman named Ted Cook, uh, and he, very interesting guy, but his big thing was we need to make conservation make sense for uh, producers and farm uh, landowners. From an economical, yeah, like yeah. budget standpoint. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, to, to spend a little money for our water quality to be better and our air quality to be better and for our grandkids to have a place to live, uh, you know, that is It's suitable. a small price to pay. Yeah, it really is, you know, yeah. and, and um, I'm not I'm not saying, he wasn't saying we need to raise taxes. He was saying that there needs to be more emphasis on it from the money that already is circulating in the government. Mm -hmm. uh, and that made a lot more sense to me. Like, we just... Instead of like, you don't want to control, again, we talked about it. We don't want to control how people use their right. land. We just need it to make sense for them because they own the land and we have, whether we like it or not, we breathe the air from that land. So mm -hmm. uh, it's got to make sense well, for it, them and it, us. It goes back to the whole reason why we do this podcast. You know, we were joking about weeds earlier and how people look at natives as, you know, native plants as man, that's just weeds growing there in your, in your yard or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a long standing born into you mindset that was, you're probably trained on since you were a kid, you know, for, for all of us. And to get past that is, it's an education game. And I never thought about it until you were saying it the way you were, Joy, but you, you were emphasizing the long term benefits is what you got to look at. And when you think about it, the reason we got into a lot of the conservation problems that we're naming here was because of a short-term focus. Yep. And so the way you combat a short-term focus is with long-term uh, results. And and uh, it feels you know two hundred years feels like a long time. And Iowa hasn't even been a state for two hundred years yet. You know. And that's, we're still a pretty new, I mean, what is that? Maybe three, four, generations. five generations yeah. max of, of people living here, you know, and developing the land. We've done all this change in a very short amount of time. And it's been three, four, five generations <clears throat> of people tilling up the ground, right. you know, using mm -hmm. cultivation as a form of management because it's and what granddaddy And did. educating the next generation on, like you just said, yeah, that's what granddad did. So this yep. is what we do. And so um, I think it's so critically important to emphasize that. Look at these long-term effects. And that's what guys like Will Harris mm -hmm. are seeing now because he's been mm -hmm. doing it, I think, in that podcast he said for 30 years or something like that. He's been yeah. doing this and he's seen. I remember that. I didn't, I didn't remember that statistic, but I do remember that part of the interview where he showed like a video of – his neighbors run off compared yes. to his. Yeah. And it, and it does. was brown. Like yeah. his neighbors was just brown because it was all, you know, sediment bound, yep. phosphorus bound. And then his water was just clear. Yeah. And, and much it's less. just based and off much, of management. And much less runoff too. Yep. So yeah. it's, it's staying there for his soil quality, for his crops, for his mm -hmm. livestock grazing. You ever heard that story about the ham, the grandmother with the ham? 
Three oh, eggs yeah. and ham? Yeah. Yeah. Cut the, the ends off yeah, the Yeah, he cut the ends off. The young lady asked, she she was cutting the ends off the ham before she was going to cook it. And her husband was like, hey, why do you do that? I, like, I don't know. My mom always did it. I'll ask her. She went to her mom. Mom, why do you always do this? You know, that's a good question. Your grandmother always did it. I'll ask her. <laughs> so they go to the grandma and they say, Grandma, why do you always cut the ends off the ham? And the grandma. Oh, I just didn't have a pan big enough. <laughs> the hand. Yeah. And I right. feel like we got a lot of those practices going on. Oh, so yeah. That, you know. That's yeah. a cute little story. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. But it's going to take that education to get yeah. people that long-term focus so that when they don't see the change, like you mentioned in a year, oh, no, my cover crops didn't come up. Yeah. I, well, you planted them at Try the again. long time. Yeah. Try and again. It's, and cover crops are a total learning curve. If yep. there's anything that, like, you will fail at and, like, you were guaranteed to not do it right the first year, it's cover crops. Yeah. Like, you were introducing a whole new species that that monocrop soil has never had on it before yeah. you know like at one point it was prairie and then we tilled the crap out of it and now it's corn and bean and corn and bean and maybe you'll throw in you know some hay in there or whatever but um it's it's a learning curve mm. and that's why i think the cost share is really a valuable resource for producers yep. because it allows them to kind of buffer um that economic challenge yeah. at first you know yeah. and i offer 25 dollars an acre unlimited acres for anyone in my watershed. So a producer wow. that just literally lives in the South Skunk watershed can walk in and be like, hey, I want to sign up for 300 acres, $25 an acre. And wow. we mark out their maps. And then, you know, when they bring in their seed tags and everything, we go out and we verify the field. And I mean, that's huge. Like we're, we're writing some pretty big checks to help people do that. Yeah. But it's because it's so worth it. The yeah. benefits are so worth that cost. And I mean, that's that's on the lower end too. There's, um, there's federal programs where... I mean, they're, they're almost double that, like wow. depending on, um, different factors, of course. Mm -hmm. But I mean, in terms of just government costure, there's sources out there. And for people that are kind of wary about maybe working with a government office, go to the private sector. Mm -hmm. I know, uh, PFI practical farmers of Iowa, mm -hmm. they have cost share. I know Cargill does stuff. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. there's just different private entities that benefit from it so much that they're yeah. like, Hey, we're willing to throw in some money yeah. per acre for you to put this good practice on the ground. Yeah. That's cool. Do you know, um, you know, Iowa cover crop? Uh, yes. Have you ever, we're having James and maybe his, his, uh, his co, co-owner, co-worker. His co-minion. Co-minion. Yeah, co-minion <laughs> on the podcast here soon. I don't actually remember what I put in as the calendar. Watch it's like today in 15 minutes and I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> but we're very interested in it because cover crop is, I, I heard someone put it helps a little bit with everything, but it helps a lot with water. Yes. And uh, yeah, so we we don't work specifically in the cover crop ground. We do, and we have contractors that will if people really want us to help them with their cover crop. But uh, we kind of consider it like our cousin that's working for the same cause. Yeah. The cover crop, we really like it. Because native prairie plants are phenomenal for water quality as well. They mm -hmm. do a really good job of filtering water. Um, that's why people have buffer strips, you know, yeah. up against their creek, which good plug for you guys. We just had um, yeah. Hoxie put in one for us on our on our bottom. So I, I plan on trying to like fly a drone every year and just show awesome. like the before, yes, the first year, the second so year. Cool. Because so many people will like, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be the, mm -hmm. the ugly stepchild for the first two years. Yeah. And like people mm -hmm. have to grasp that concept yep. that like, 
it looks like weeds and you have to mow it because it's it's fighting off other you know species yeah. too and you have to you have to let that management take place but then that third year it's like oh my goodness this looks yep. great yeah so i'm really excited to yeah i'll, I'll have to send you that footage I yeah guess. I, we would love to see it we'd love to see it. i'm sure a lot of people would love to see it. It'll be really mm-hmm. cool. And I, I want that also to be just like a form because I'm. Po- I'll post that on my personal social media. Mm-hmm. I'll post that on my social media for my uh, South Skunk Watershed project. But I think another thing about conservation, there's not a lot of like media and content yeah. made on it. Mm-hmm. It's like there's media and content made on everything under the sun nowadays you know what i mean like you can find your niche in pretty much anything but like when was the last time you were scrolling through social media and you saw something about cover crops yeah. like it just doesn't exist yeah. like i'm working on a an instagram reel right now hopefully i'll probably post it tomorrow um so follow me on social media joy of weingard yeah <laughs> um, but it's like on, <laughs> she's very like, interesting you guys on, should oh great um but it's nick will, on put her, nick will put her handle in uh the it, show notes on this one yes yep i post all sorts of goofy stuff so prepare yourself. Yeah. No, <laughs> Nick does too. It was part of the reason we asked her because we saw how she handles herself on social media. We're like, man, she would be perfect. It'd be perfect. Yeah. I'm kind of a no bullshit person on social media, but I yep. think that's just who I am as a person. And I'm not really willing to like put up a different front yeah. just to make people happy. And sure. so that's far, good. like it's worked. Like a lot of, I have a decent amount of followers and I feel like not only that, but I have a lot of engagement with people that will just send me something like, oh my gosh, I agree with you on this. Or like, thank you for posting this. Yeah. Like, I, I think the same way. And it's just kind of cool to see that. So yeah. I kind of want to take advantage of that platform and start posting yeah. some conservation stuff. Like, I'd like, cool. I'd like to do one on the buffer strip once it comes up and just be yeah. like, hey, this is a buffer strip. This is why we decided to put it in. Um, if you could see before, we were farming right up to this creek and like yep. it had extreme bank erosion like it looks yeah. like garbage i'm mm-hmm. very not proud to have that in my family name but like there's things you can do about it and my dad used a cost share program um the whole state of iowa was doing it for buffers mm, i don't know if awesome. you ever saw that one i don't know if i sent it to you mm-hmm. or not yeah. yeah because i think they're they're thinking about doing it again they might mm-hmm. modify it a little bit but it's basically just encouraging people to put in buffer strips if they're not pfi is lobbying for it really hard right now okay i met with some of those guys um if, if you guys don't know, no, you, we've talked about PFI because Nancy Brenneman in one of our earlier uh, oh, yeah. podcasts yep. was part of PFI. They are. Uh, They're awesome. Yeah, they are powerful. Practical Farmers of Iowa sounds like a hodank backcountry little. Yeah, like, a little nonprofit. But they are, they are, <laughs> they get their voice out there. They do. And they've got a lot of people with their weight behind them and. And they're really cool. they're fantastic at doing field days all across the yes. state too. Yes, we're doing one with them. No, we're doing one with the IPN, Iowa Prairie Network. You but need to we, do one with them. We might. We're thinking about reaching out to them and basically doing it together, an IPN and a uh, PFI. Uh, man, so many acronyms. Uh, field day and having them out here. And uh, we've got Ebert Honey, who has a bunch of yes. his bees on our farm. I'm literally going to his place after this to get beeswax and bee pollen. Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? And I helped them extract honey this year for the first time. Really? Yes, that was an experiment. The first day I did it, didn't get stung at all. Second day, like five on my fingertips. Oh, did you? so bad. Uh, I think he has our most listened to podcast. Really? With him. Well, one, he has an incredible voice. I love his voice. Nick loves good voices. Dude, I'm really <laughs> into good voices. Rate mine from one to ten right now. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, probably 7.25. 
really good. I will take it. Not world class, but I'd say really good. He does have a nice voice, though. That's very yeah. interesting that you point that out. Yeah. It, I, so I was listening to a podcast. What was it called? Um, uh, how I Built This. And it's an NPR how, like, big businesses like Five Guys and Wikipedia and stuff like that were built. Mm-hmm. And he, he interviews their their founder. And one of the best episodes, in my opinion, was the Five Guys episode, simply because that dude's voice was amazing. <laughs> we, me and my wife listened to it twice in a row. Just listen to it. Wow, that was good. Let's do it again. Went to Five Guys right there. And I, I, that was the first time I ever went to Five Guys. I've been going ever since. But uh, anyway, the point is uh, Phil's episode. My goodness, you will cry. It's, he he uh, basically starts crying in it talking about doing it with his family and it is emotional and really good yeah what a guy and his honey is fantastic oh yeah, oh, yeah. like i've literally i mean that's what we've bought my whole life you know because he's local here but then you try other honey and you're like why does it taste like yeah. crap or you know it's yeah. always crap yeah. Oh, yeah. but then you kind of like as you educate yourself and you look into it like there's a reason why that is it's because yeah. What are the bees feeding on mm-hmm. to make their honey? And mm-hmm. that was that Fox was a mind blowing. Farm. His bees are hanging out on our farm. That's what they're doing. So, <laughs> but it's, it's mind blowing that like yeah. that's why the honey can vary in its flavor and taste. It's oh, because yeah. what is the bees' food source? So yeah. I mean, yeah, you guys are like two are powerhouses right next to each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. No, I I I echo all that. I think uh, the beauty of it all too is it's right here. You don't have to drive, you know, an hour to go find this stuff and uh, that's where if we empower more landowners then hopefully we can empower a more localized model for agriculture for for land use and people tied close to the land that they're on and and uh, if you're listening in you're wondering you know how does this affect you well i think uh, joy did a great job explaining how um your tax dollars, your water bill, your all these different ways that money coming directly out of your account to pay to fix problems created by this uh, traditional system of doing things using land, um, it does affect you. Um, even if you don't, even if you live in an apartment in a totally urbanized area, it's still affecting you. Yeah. So uh, get active with that. You know, if you if you do have some control over how some grounds used be looking into some of these programs that we talked about um certainly can talk to legislators and uh um you know ask them about money that you know goes to different federal programs and um there's certainly some out there i I won't list them specifically we actually we're, we're getting somebody on the podcast soon who's going to ruffle some serious feathers yeah oh good um, i love that um you always gets me you'll, excited. You'll, you'll want to punch him by the end if you're. Uh, in, I will, or you will, no, or we no. will. Yeah, no, I don't know. We might if all. If you're into big ag, you'll want to punch him by the end. But uh, uh, he's actually my best friend. So. Uh, he's, oh, that'll be good. He's he's, uh, he's super smart guy. He's a farmer, um, and uh, corn and bean guy. But uh, um, he's gonna have some have, things to say. He'll have some things to say yeah. that, that uh, need to be said, need to be heard. But I think that's important because you guys are almost kind of like the Joe Rogan then of conservation and ag. You're bringing on people like me. You're bringing on someone who's your best friend who's probably going to say, like, screw your buffers, screw your apologies. <laughs> no, 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 you know no, no, what no. I mean? He's, he's and all like, for that's that. that's good. You need to show both sides. You <laughs> yeah. need to just be this non-biased. Like, I mean, we all have opinions. We're all yep. biased. We're human beings. But, like, bring those people on. Let them say what they want to say because – he, I don't know who he is, but like, 
I grew up on a conventional farmed mm-hmm. system, like corn and beans, row crop. We've been no-till for a while now, but like my dad still hasn't done cover crops. I think I finally talked him into giving, giving me one field next year, and I'm like, hey, we're doing this, and like I really don't care what you think. Like <laughs> We put in this buffer, Good and like, he was for it, whatever. I know. I was like, yeah. I just I had to go in, and I was like, you know what? I talk with other people all day long about it, and my dad is one person. I just kind of like, I'm going to let him do what he wants to do. And mm-hmm. one day, I was just fired up. I don't know what light was lit underneath my bum but i just went to my dad's office and i was like we're doing cover crops next year like you can pick the field but we're freaking doing it and like, <laughs> you're, nice you're gonna I'm like i have the gosh here for it like i have it all figured out but like we need to do it and it's it's gonna happen that's I, awesome how did uh how old john is mm-hmm. it john how did john uh, respond to that pretty well okay surprisingly wow. no good. i don't know it's probably because i'm the favorite child i'm guessing wow. but like, I, don't, <laughs> I feel like i don't know your sister had a, a, a kid recently i feel like grandkids uh add yeah. a lot of points yeah there. well i have a dog i have two actually well excuse me I'm sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like my dog's yeah yeah my nephew is adorable but yeah but yeah i mean you yeah. have to have both sides oh yeah and well like, he would he would fall on our side but i get your point it's, yeah for sure he and he's got the he's got He's got the experience that you do in the sense of he's lived in under the conventional. So he still farms with his dad. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, he's not calling all the shots. And, and uh, But he makes known his opinion on, you know, while I'm doing this, just know that I think it is entirely pointless and making things worse. <laughs> you know, like he's that, he's that kind of a guy. Oh, no. And, uh, but someday oh, no. it will be his farm. You might yeah. Someday it'll yeah. be his ground. Yeah. Might, we, this might be the end of us, guys. <laughs> it was great knowing you. Thanks for listening. <laughs> no, well, you, just just be looking for it. It'll be. But that's the that's the hardest. That's the hardest part is is changing mindsets because Absolutely. if you tell a farmer, hey, actually, there's a better way to do it. What what a lot of times they're hearing is, I was doing it wrong. I'm a bad farmer. I'm not good at, you know, they're, they're hearing yeah. all these identity things because they are, they're very attached to being a farmer and their identity, which isn't a problem. But, um, but sometimes that leaves no area or room for growth because they're so attached to how it has happened, how it is going to happen. And this is mm-hmm. how my kids are going to do it. And they have a hard time admitting that they might've done it wrong. And, and honestly, or not even wrong, just like, we Best didn't know what, what they have. Yeah. Right. We didn't know what we didn't know at the time. Yeah. yeah absolutely. You know, like our, our granddads were plowing up the fields because they thought it was what they were supposed to be doing. Yeah. Like, and when you come at a farmer like that, I think sometimes they take it that personally too, because yeah. not only oh, are you yeah. attacking maybe them and their way of farming, but you're attacking their daddy and their granddaddy yeah. who did it yep. before them. And that's why it's, I think conservation is kind of an uphill battle. It's because it's a new yeah. thing. You know, you have to prove mm-hmm. how it, it, uh, pencils out for people economically, um, and also put on the conservation ball cap for some producers. But then just going back to the very basics of like, it's not that you were wrong, but like, yeah, well, and it there's worked. a different way to do it. You know what I mean? It worked. Like, exactly. They, they had money in their bank account. Their kids are fed. They're, yeah. you know, they had a retirement. They, it's just, I like how you said it. It's a new thing. We're adding a component to what mm-hmm. is success. Mm-hmm. It's not just yeah. economic gain there's there's got to be this conservation what's left on the bone for future generations and uh that is a new that's a pretty new concept yeah well we've loved having you and i'm sure there are other people who have loved listening to you and if they want to hear more from you where would they get that probably my social media 
Yeah. What are those? That's probably where I'm most active. Uh, Instagram and TikTok. And my handle's the same for both. It's literally just my name, Joy Van Weingarten. Um, And when I was in college, I hadn't spoken to Joy since high school. I remember seeing her something. Maybe maybe it was TikTok. I don't know. But I remember thinking, wow, this is very clever and very well done. And I messaged her out of the blue. But uh, she is very interesting. She's well worth listening to. And uh, the main reason we had her out today is she is well thought out. So she doesn't say things uh, without thought behind behind them. And we really appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. That's a huge compliment. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, we've talked about water quality. We have talked about cover crops going along with that. We talked about Kent spilling whatever he did on him. And, uh, going I thought it was ditches. your sweet and sour. It was. Was. <laughs> whatever it was. Yeah, Nick. Whatever it was. It might have been sweet It and was sour. your driving. It's probably your hair in my ice cream sandwich. <laughs> it was probably Nick's armpit hair That's from right. when he fell into the ditch. His curtain of armpit hair look guys while you're making fun of me i'm racking my brain for a good transition i can't think of one so everybody listening thank you for tuning in and remember conservation happens one yard at a time <laughs>